Notre Dame. I was like, did we get to Lucas? What was that? <laughs> it was kind of spooky sounding it almost. It was. I liked it. it in. Yeah. <laughs> it was spooky. I, I liked it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Libra season. I have no idea what that was. I don't either. Yeah, it's Libra season. It is. Um, okay, intros. So, hey, we lovers. This is Fatina. I'm Bree. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Yes, it's Libra season. This would be out the Monday after my birthday. Yeah. So I'm a whole year older now. And if all goes well, we planned this correctly because I probably would have had no energy the day after my birthday. <laughs> I think we planned it yes. perfectly. It is great. Yes. I've, um, we're doing a themed party and I'm really excited about how it's going to turn out. Um, it's a wear something you wish you wore more often party and anything but a cup theme party. So I'm excited to see what people bring. I cannot wait. So that'll be exciting. It, or it was exciting. It was great. <laughs> it was amazing. It was the best party ever. <laughs> and so I... Um, I'm actually really excited about this episode because, like I told you right before we started recording, A, I couldn't find it on any other podcast. And that, to me, is, like, sweet. Slate's kind of blank for us. Like, yeah. we get to hear it here first kind of thing. to set the bar. And, yeah, hopefully set that bar kind of high, right? Yes. And I did find, so on YouTube... Because those are, you know, my first go-tos. I listen to what I'm researching as much as I can while I'm doing other stuff. And um, on YouTube, when I went to go look for more stuff on this case, all I could find, and not saying all I could find, but what is predominantly out there are the interrogation videos for this case. I love interrogation videos. So... It's known as, well, it is, it's not really known as because it's not, but this is the case of Amelia Bassoon and her husband, Joshua Ramsani. This is something that took place back in 2018. And so I'm going to start with a little bit of background on Amelia and her husband. Amelia graduated high school back in 2011 and she shortly after had a kid and that relationship with the kid's dad did not work out but shortly after she met Joshua or she rekindled something with Joshua I wasn't Mm. too clear about that but I do know that Joshua was a big part of her kid's life and for all intents and purposes he grew up as the father figure for him there wasn't really much a relationship with the kid's father both between Amelia and the kid and the father. Okay. So they were this unit, this family of three, and in early in late 2017, they finally um, put rings on it, and they got married. They she hadn't changed her name yet, her last name to Ramsami. So they both had a, I believe, Indian and Guyanan uh, backgrounds. Okay. So, uh, their families were really close with each other and, um, or sorry, they were each close with their respective families, like mom and dad situation. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, in December of 2017, they got married in September. In December of 2017, Joshua was known to be a gun enthusiast. Not that he had a buttload of guns or anything, but he did like guns as a sport he always like like to carry a gun with him go to the range yeah kind yeah. of thing like he he had guns he was not a stranger to owning a gun or handling a gun but in december of 2017 there was this incident where uh as much as i could find on it he was in his vehicle and something happened where he had the gun in his hand he was putting it down like beside him in the console type of situation mm-hmm. and it went off and he shot himself in the leg yeah and it wasn't just a grace wound or anything he actually had to be hospitalized he had to go to therapy he couldn't continue doing his job at that point he was working with some family members he was operating a forklift so it was something that he couldn't just go back into work for 
he, because of that situation, he had to spend some time at home going to physical therapy a couple times a week and having or going from a two income family to just one at this point, definitely put a strain on their relationship. They were living with Amelia's parents and the way that it was, um, uh, laid out. They had their own separate house situation, but on the same property type of thing. Oh, that's really nice. So I, yeah, they shared, I think they shared some common rooms or something or an entrance, but there was separation between the two families and his family didn't live too far away. Um, this happened in Florida in the Orlando area. They, were making it work as much as they could with one income and the families helping out with the kids, with the kid and whatnot. But eventually, um, there was stressors because financially they, they had bills piling up and they had one income and, uh, Amelia had worked at or worked at Chase Bank. She was a personal banker. And my understanding of that is I believe she's the type of teller that has a desk instead yeah, of a personal banker. I think yeah. You have a desk instead area. of behind a window type yeah. of situation. Uh, or yeah, no, it was his mom and his sister that also worked at Chase Bank. They all worked in the same location Not together? Not the same location, okay. but they were all in that same corporation. Gotcha. <laughs> and so eventually in, in around... Um, I think it was March of 2018. uh, um, Amelia's birthday was March 7th, and that is actually the first day that Joshua started his job at Chase. So I think it's, we've all been there. Mm -hmm. You're at a company, you know that there's a job opening, you get a family member, you get another family member, a friend, whatever, to come in and work. I believe they were all tellers. I believe his mom was like a branch manager at a different branch. And for him, he started a job as a debt collector for Chase Bank. So he started that job, and from what he said, his job title and what his responsibilities were, he was calling people that had, like, the credit cards with Chase, and they were behind on their payments, and they needed to get caught up. And he said he really liked the job because he felt that the company gave people a lot of options when it came to collecting those bills and giving them payment plans and whatnot. So it wasn't just there to have really bad conversations with people. So he liked Chase. You weren't just calling, harassing people, where's your money? It's yeah. like, I have or, options for you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's make something work, right? Okay, so Amelia worked there as a personal banker, and she, throughout her time there built a relationship with one of the customers. The customer's name is Gerald, or Gerald, Gerald, <laughs> Gerald, um, Gerald Stack. You have and, a hard time with that name. Oh you? my gosh, yeah. I have a hard time with any name, let's be honest. <laughs> but this was an older guy, 75, and not as you do, but as some do with age, sometimes your brain capacities are not always there. Mm-hmm. He was known to start having a little, you know, his little dementia moments. And she built a relationship with him to the point where she said he would tell her everything about her, his family, complain about his older kids complain about, you know, his family members wanting his money. He had, I believe, $230,000 in his bank account. Oh, wow. That's pretty good for Decent someone for 75. 75. Right. Yeah. And he had these bouts of um, maybe didn't remember what he wrote a check for, and he would call her directly because she had a dedicated phone number for herself at her desk and would sometimes uh, there was an instance where she recalled that he called and said, I need you to put a stop on this check. I have no idea what this is. Mm. And then would call back five minutes later that he remembered that he had actually written that check to someone and he wanted it to go through type of situation. So I've never used a personal banker. So I don't know how some of these future things that I'm going to tell you about actually, if it's common practice for a bank 
but I guess I'll tell you and then we'll figure out if it's maybe something that I just haven't experienced. So sometime around that um, February, March in 2018, when we know they were having financial problems at home, Amelia and Joshua, uh, Amelia said that Gerald asked her to help her his grandson open up a bank account so that it would be easier for him to transfer money into his grandson's bank account because he could just call her and she could do the financial transfer, et cetera, sure. et cetera. And he also wanted a balance of his accounts. And most receipts carry a balance of both your checking and your savings account on them. She said that one of these days, which I know this part isn't normal, she printed out a receipt and she offered to take it to Gerald. Yeah, to that's not normal. his house. Okay. So she said she printed out a receipt showing how much is in his bank and she put it in her car. And then one of those, it took her, she said, about two days before she, from the time that she printed it out to the time that she was going to go deliver it. And um, her husband, Joshua, got into the car with her and saw said receipt that showed the balance. Holy shit, that's a lot of money, right? You're like, what are you doing with this receipt? What's it for? Who is it from? And she explains to him that it's Gerald's and he knows of Gerald at this point because apparently sometimes she's helped him get groceries. Okay. Because... It's a pretty close, pretty close relationship. Relationship, and well, and it's and it's strange because yes, you want to be nice, right? But of course, you have to set boundaries with a customers, and two, you're working at a financial institution too. Exactly. So right off the bat, it makes you think: Does she have ulterior motives? I already think about just like bartending Mm -hmm. and having relationships with customers and boundaries is a huge thing, especially when it comes to regulars. But yeah, then you throw in the element of a financial institution and that's not just uh, no beer. That's no cash. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, at this point he sees that receipt. We'll leave it there. Um, well, Joshua, so says Amelia that at that point, Joshua said, well, we need to figure out how to get that money or how to get his money. Amelia says that to Joshua? Joshua says that to Amelia. Oh, that's what that's she That's what claims. is she saying. Gotcha. How this all started. Okay. And so in the interrogation videos, they're absolutely fascinating. They're in there for an entire day getting interrogated. And just like in the last episode, we're like, well, this shouldn't they have them in the same building, separate rooms so they can like counter and go back and Mm -hmm. forth. And this is absolutely what these detectives did. And the job that they did was so, so impressive. They used almost every which way that was taught in school to them. They played good cop, bad cop. They played sympathetic. Sometimes they played a little hardball. It was great. We'll definitely post that on there. If you guys have a chance to look at the at the interrogation videos, it is textbook and it's fantastic. Ooh, I want to see those. Yeah. I love interrogation. His interrogation was a whole 12 hours. Holy shit. It is a long time. And I believe hers is six hours in, like, raw footage. Okay. So, this idea sparks between, I would say, both of them. Because Josh might have brought it up, but the one to actually play it out and execute it is going to have to be Amelia. Because she is the one that has access to his record. Right. right? So, at that point, she decides that she is going to... She, hold on. So Gerald just so happened to call around that same time after this idea had been brought up by Joshua and asked that some money be transferred over to his grandson's account. Okay. And for the grandson, he had already come in and he had started a bank account with Amelia's help. He went straight to her. And I'm assuming this is because grandpa sent him straight to her. And... From there, that night that he went and started his bank account, 
Amelia says offered a ride back to his house. And she didn't drop him off right at his house. She dropped him around there, like at a grocery store. Okay. So she's claiming that she hasn't been to the grandson's house at this point. Okay. So, sometime later, Gerald calls Amelia and asks for some money to be transferred over into his grandson's account. Because of the time that she's been there working at Chase, she only has authority to write up to $30,000 transfers at at that time. Or checks, or up to Mm -hmm. $30,000 authority. What she does is that she tries to write a $50,000 check. This is the amount that both her and Joshua have decided this is how much money they want to try and steal from Gerald. Okay. So... Because she doesn't have the authority to write a a whole $50,000 check or transfer, what she does is that she tries to tell her manager at the branch at the time that Gerald is outside in the parking lot and he just couldn't come in because he had trouble walking, but she needed the manager's authorization or credentials to get this money moving, right? Sure. And the manager either said, I can't or that's weird he's not in here and didn't authorize it so she went to a different manager asking them to authorize it and they were too busy so she kind of just dropped it so she she was like okay maybe that's not gonna work right she decided to write two twenty five thousand dollar checks okay because that she did have the authority right. for and she wrote them out to her son to her son? To her own son. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, $50,000 is... $50,000 is a lot. That's a lot. Of, it's, it's a lot of money, A. It's a lot of money, B, considering that he had, like, a little over 200000 That's a quarter of it. And he wants receipts with mm-hmm. his balances, so... I know he's 75 and showing sporadic moments of dementia, but he's going to notice that 50 grand You'd think so, right? Yeah. So she writes two $25,000 checks. And at this point, she writes them out to her son and she hands them to Joshua when she gets home later that evening. The next day or within the next couple of days, Joshua goes into... A different bank, I believe it was like Bank of America, and opened up an account in her son's name. And it was one where he had the rights of survivorship on him, so he was the guardian over the kid in the bank account. I've been lucky enough to deposit big checks, and anything over 10000 has to be reported to the IRS. Right. And it has a hold for a couple of days before they verify that, A, it's a valid check, that, you know, it's not fraud or Uh illicit money, etc., before the funds become available. So they deposit the checks. They let them clear. They're in the bank account now. And she also does the transfer into the grandson's account for like $1,800 or something. Mm-hmm. And that one's an easy peasy couple buttons from one account to another yeah. Chase bank account to Chase bank account. So there's no issues there. About a couple of weeks go by. And then now we have Gerald's crone daughter, his grandson's mom. His grandson is na- uh, Sorry. His grandson's name is Sean, and his mom's name is Cynthia, goes by Cindy. Okay. So Cindy is Gerald's daughter. Right. She realizes, you know, she needs to step in with dad's finances. He's getting older. You know, we we know about this losing memory type of thing, situation. But she knows he has all this money, and she's been helping out his, he's been helping out her son. She goes into the bank, and she goes directly to Amelia. And she does this, again, because that's who dad's telling her is helping him with her fin- with his finances. Sure. So she goes directly to her, and she's like, okay, what's there's money missing. So a couple weeks go by, and there is something triggered in the Chase bank system that alerted 
like their corporate office, like this is a transaction that we need to look at. Mm. And that's just because of the amount of money and they were done next to each other. The bank clearly has someone in the office that could have authorized a $50,000 check. So why was it done in two separate transactions so close to each other? So bells were ringing, right? And so the security office for corporate is called Global Solutions. And they come into the office, into the branch, and they talk to the branch manager. They bring them in, and they also bring in Amelia. Like, hey, what's going on with this? This just seems kind of odd that there's these two transactions so close to each other. And she explains it away, saying that he was out in the parking lot that, or that he called her, asking her to make these checks out to her grandson and that, you know, she was just doing him a favor, that she has this relationship with him. She sits down and writes an entire summary and signs off on it saying, this is what I know to be true. Like, I'm not being fraudulent. Like a report, like a statement. Exactly. Because she got in trouble. Right. So they make her write, uh, make her sit down and write down what she's saying, um, where that money went and how that money got to go out of the account. So she thinks that's done. And she's like, oh, shit, I fucked up. Yeah. Right. At that point, she's starting to feel some pressure like, okay, but nothing comes of that Mm -hmm. um, because there's nothing being raised by the customer at that point. So, quick question. Mm-hmm. So, they were issued to Amelia's son, though. Mm-hmm. She claims that they were written to Gerald's grandson. Yes. Was there no, like, them looking into who the checks were issued to? Nope. Interesting. And the son doesn't have her same last name. Okay. So, there's a difference in last names sure. there. And so, no, they didn't look into that. Or maybe if they were going to look into that, it didn't happen immediately. So it wasn't right there on the spot that they did like a full investigation or anything. That was, if anything, I think the start of a bigger investigation. Mm -hmm. And so the customer, like I said, hadn't brought up a complaint to Chase. Like, hey, I have $50,000 missing. And about a week later, after Global Solutions had reached out to them and gone to the branch and written up this report and everything, it was that Gerald's daughter, Cynthia, goes by Cindy, who's the mom of Sean, his grandson, was doing his finances because he's getting older and whatnot, and realized, what is this $50,000 transaction broken into two going out of my dad's account? I mean, it's possible that he could have called in, but she didn't know, and then he didn't know. Right. So she went and asked Amelia. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She called Amelia. Okay. Because Gerald gave her her number. She has her, he has her cell phone number at this point because of this relationship that they've built. And Amelia knows she's caught at this point. She realizes that. His daughter knows that that money did not go to his grandson, did mm-hmm. not, he did not ask for that money to leave his account. The money's just simply missing. I don't know why the daughter, Cindy, didn't go to police or to Chase any time sooner and say, hey, what the hell is going on? I'm missing this money. But apparently Cindy showed up to the branch and talked directly to Amelia. And Amelia was like holding her off saying like, oh, I can explain it. I got to talk to you. I'll have to talk to you after work or I'll call you after work. But I can't talk while I'm at work on my personal cell phone, which is just weird. That, yeah, why would you not get someone super weird up involved? If yeah. It was, okay, if it was $1,000, you could explain away $1,000. Yeah. That's I 50 wrote- grand. $50,000 of your dad's money. Yes. Of your older dad's money. Yeah. Like he, he's going to need that money. Exactly. And so she starts getting these phone calls and they're happening more frequently from Cindy because she keeps putting her off. Like I have an explanation for this. And she said that Cindy's giving her an out like, Hey, I get it. You're young. If you fucked up, let me know. We'll work something out. Sure. I, she's being really nice. Really if you nice. Ask me, for fifty thousand yeah. dollars. She's being really nice. At that point, she starts feeling the pressure. She, I'm sure, is having her whole world crumble, thinking, I'm gonna get caught, I'm gonna get in trouble. And 
mind you, this is after they've at least spent $8,000 on all new appliances for their house. Yowza. Washer and dryer, refrigerator, mm-hmm. dishwasher. They bought everything new. New stove, even. And they, so they're thinking life is grand. They paid off some bills that they needed to pay, etc. But when she starts feeling this pressure from Cindy, she's probably thinking, okay, how do I get away from, how do I make the situation go away? Yeah. So in July, early July, uh, about July 10th or 11th, Joshua, Amelia's husband, comes home with a gun. And she didn't know exactly why he had gotten this gun other than his last gun because of his incident was right. taken away because it is, was involved in a shooting technically and it had not been given back to him from the police. Oh. Excuse me. So isn't that weird? Yeah. So it is kind of weird. The police kept his gun because it was technically still involved in a shooting. Like, did they look at him as like an irresponsible gun maybe owner like you're gonna be suspended from your gun with you i don't even know that he made much effort to actually get that gun back okay so he didn't have it so he went and got this new one at a pawn shop he had some friends that worked at a pawn shop and he got home with it it was in a holster and apparently they had this huge fight about him having a gun again because he just wanted to have a gun because he's always had one this is his story And then for Amelia, she said that she didn't want another gun in the house because, A, you've already freaking shot yourself with it. We have a kid in the house. Cheddar Bob shot himself in the leg. Exactly. (laughs) Like, dude, yourself. Yourself. I mean, I know it happens, but don't, I mean, give it a year before you go and get another gun or something. Well, also, not that I know a lot about guns, but Tyson does, and I'm just thinking, like, you might want to get a better gun. Yeah. You have a little Guns more... Guns don't You randomly, have a little more safety on... They don't randomly go off. Let no. me tell you. It takes... Uh, depending on the gun, it either takes pressure or, you know, it just... Or neglect. Yes. Those are the two explanations. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. And so he gets home. They have a huge fight about the gun. So here's what I'm going to tell you, like, the... Two different versions that they said happened. Okay. In their interrogations. In their interrogations. Both Amelia and her husband, Joshua. And then somewhere in there, I'm going to come and tell you what actually happened. Cool. So, for Amelia, she gets in to the interrogation room. She is very soft-spoken. She seems very, very sweet. And she is saying that she walks in and she's like, I don't really know why I'm here what is going on and the cops the detectives they deploy the tactic of where let's be friends let's talk about easy things first let's confirm where you work you know have you had any trouble at work well yeah i've had a situation and they started kind of unraveling that and from that situation with the money they're like okay well what you know is there any guns in the house and yes they talk about that and then eventually you know, she's still kind of clammed up and she's not giving them much information. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back to Joshua's room now. They leave her for a bit because they're they're giving her like the whole, you know, if you know something, let us know now. Not right. that it's going to be better for you. We can't promise you that. But it's going to be better if you tell us instead of us walking out and we finding out a different way. Sure. Okay. So they go to Joshua. Same thing. Except for him, excuse me, (laughs) puberty, (laughs) except for him, he starts off, you know, they start the same way, friendly, friendly, and right off the bat, he offers this story about how they got into a fight over him bringing another gun into the home, and he went out for a night drive that night that that they got into a fight, and he tossed the gun over a bridge into water in Daytona. Okay. That's his story. He's sticking to it for the first 30 minutes. He's saying that he had, you know, he was not in a good mental state to like keep the gun because he was afraid too about what had happened with the gun and he didn't like that it started a fight with Amelia. So he just went and threw it over the bridge. Now the detectives ask him, 
hey, listen, we know you're having money problems because you had this huge surgery, but it probably cost you money and, you know, you haven't had a job and whatnot. Mm. So if you had just bought the gun a couple of days before, why didn't you go back to the pawn shop and either try to return it or try to sell it back for some money? Sure. You don't go and throw it into water. Yeah. Unless you've used it for something. Exactly. And so he kind of sticks to that story for a bit. And then eventually they start unraveling who he, what he knows about Amelia's job. They all work at Chase. And, you know, do you know Gerald? Do you know anyone in Gerald's family? And it's funny because he says no and he's adamant about the no. He's like, nope, I don't know anyone. I don't know anything. And they're like, hey, listen, we know you've been to Gerald's house. We know you've been to Cindy's house. So how they know they've been to Gerald's house was because when they really, after the global security incident, after they'd come to her work mm-hmm. and asked her to sign this you know, affidavit about what happened, they came up with this plan that they were going to write a letter, supposedly from Gerald, notarizing or confirming that he was giving that money to Amelia as a present. Okay. So they wrote up this letter together. And then Amelia, because she knew Gerald, called him and told him that the bank was going to be sending over a representative along with a travel notary to his house to sign some paperwork for the transfer that he wanted done for his grandson's account. He's older. Right? So yeah, and so she actually it. told him she actually told him that story. Yes. So she told Gerald that a, a Chase representative and the notary were going to show up to his house for him to sign this paperwork saying that he had authorized the bank uh, transfer, the money transfer. And Gerald is older, right? And he probably didn't see that in the paperwork, Amelia had tried to cover her tracks and put that the money was being transferred into her son's name. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember, Joshua works at a Chase. Yeah. So he has a Chase badge. Right. So when she and he's told never him, met and he's never Josh, met Gerald, so he would right. know him from Joe. Yeah. Right. So when Gerald, uh, when Joshua showed up at Gerald's house with a Chase badge, she stayed out in the car, and a public notary who just showed up to do their job was mm-hmm. paid fifty dollars to come notarize a piece of paperwork. They showed up. He signed two pieces of paper, one for them, one for him to keep. And it was a notarized piece of paper that said he had authorized $50,000 to be transferred into her son's account. Very, very sneaky. Oh, very sneaky. I'm just like, I wonder, I mean, I don't know how much money he would regularly transfer, but. Oh, like a thousand or $1,800 max. Sure. Yeah. And so I would be, I would be like, why do I all of a sudden have to notarize something? Yeah. But he's older. I'm sure he's probably not thinking through that, but. Yeah. Or, and he trusts her too. Exactly. He trusts her with her money. Yeah. To have someone that, again, I've never used a personal banker, but if I had some, I'm assuming it's like an accountant type of situation, mm-hmm. you know, like one, one step below an accountant, like someone you trust with your financials. Yeah. Someone to, to help you transfer the funds so that exactly. you don't have to worry about doing it yourself. And she, you know, has brought him food before and whatnot. Right. So he trusts her when, so when she calls him and says, Hey, I have a coworker and a notary coming by, open the door for them and sign the paperwork that they need. He, he allowed it to happen. So Joshua gets confronted with this, like, hey, I know you've been to Gerald's house. So let's backtrack. Let's take back that lie that you said you don't really know Gerald and you don't know where he lives. So what do you know about? And then he says, well, I don't know his daughter, Cynthia, either. And he's like, dude, I didn't say her name, first yeah. of all. So he's like, OK, well, what kind of car do you have? And he has like a maroon Nissan Altima. And he says, witnesses put that vehicle at Cindy's house the day they were murdered. So let's start again. 
And now he's backtracking again. And he says that he actually did go to Cindy's house that day. And that he was just going to go over there and talk to her. And Sean was there. um, Because he said he knew that the trouble that Amelia had gone into. And the money situation. And that he was going to go talk to her about like maybe giving them more time to try and figure it out. To get them the money back, etc. All these things. That's what his first explanation is as to why he's there. He said he showed up around 3 or 3.30 that day. He called out of work because his shift was, I believe, from 10 to 7. Okay. He worked a, a weird shift because he's probably calling people at dinner time at, you know, the best time to collect That's debts. And <laughs> so he shows up at like 3.30, which is, you know, middle of the afternoon. But he doesn't, he says that he doesn't leave till around 11. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, hours, like seven hours in that house. I think we can come to a solution in less than seven hours. So in those seven hours, he says that he's in there, they're talking, and when he comes out, he goes and sits back in his car, he puts his window down, and he starts vaping. And this whole time, he had his phone off the entire time that he's in their house. And he said that this is because Amelia liked to track where he was at, like using Find My iPhone and whatnot. And they had also gotten into the fight earlier about the gun, like the day before. So it was just like this whole thing, like they were like fighting. But he said he got into the car, he started vaping, he turned his phone on, he texted Amelia, yo, and then hello. Yo. Tried calling her, didn't answer. He tried calling some of her cousins because they were in town from New York City and he knew that there were plans to go out all together that evening, even though he was, they were still fighting. He still wanted to know where she was at and what was going on. Right. This is his story that he's sitting in the car and that a man walked up to him in the, pa- in the driver's seat, driver's side, put a gun to his head and said, give me your piece because his gun was sitting next to him. Okay. So now he changed his story about throwing the gun into the river to now this random guy walked up to me. And robbed him for it. And robbed him for his gun. Nothing else. No wallet. Nothing else. He said he was shaken up and then went to a hookah bar afterwards. Yes, that's his story. He said after he was robbed, he turned off his phone again and just went to the hookah bar. This guy also just sounds really lame. And so while he's uh, getting robbed for his gun, apparently the guy says, we've been watching you. What are you doing here? Give me your gun. So the we are watching you piece, he says, is because now he's backtracking again about his story and he's implicating Amelia's best friend. He said that after... One of the conversations she had with Cindy, apparently Cindy had threatened to actually call the police soon if there wasn't answers to what was happening. And so she got desperate and she called her best friend Jay to come over to the house. And apparently, according to Joshua, she asked for a hitman. She asked Jay to get a hitman for her. Oh my God. And this is only because Jay was, he was a couple years younger than her. He was a, or he is, a, what's the best one? Not, not like a hood kid, but he, he was a drug dealer. Yeah, you know. That's a good way to put it. Your regular friendly <laughs> drug dealer. Sure. You know? And so because of that past that he had, that was the closest she had to, like, someone with connections, and that's who they called. Sure. To try and get a head out on these people. So at first it started as both of them finally coming to this, you know, finally revealing like, okay, yeah, they contacted Jay. And then, so Amelia saying that it was Joshua's idea. And they're pinning this on each other. So they're both saying this They're now. both saying this Okay, now. so this is where they connect. So kind of connect. So we're starting okay. to come in. We're gotcha. starting to come into the center here. Gotcha. And so they... They're saying that they, 
the each that the other is the one who initially contacted Jay or had the idea about contacting him. But regardless, on this evening, on the specific evening, Jay came over to the house and they were they both came out of the house to talk to him in his car and they came to the agreement that they were going to give him a thousand dollars up front and somehow the conversation came up that Joshua still had some oxys or Vicodins from his leg injury. He had 50 that he hadn't taken. That was part of the deal of what Jay was going to get for this. And at first, Joshua says that the money and the pills were given to Jay as a way to generate money to do some kind of flip either buy something, invest in something, mm-hmm. and help them get some money back so they can stop start repaying um, Cindy for her dad's money. Okay. That's the first story. And then eventually we find out that that same evening, they met up at a CVS parking lot, and they gave him another $9,000. <laughs> so... Oh, my God. They just had money under their bed. Apparently, Amelia said that she didn't know there was cash in the house because I think after Global Security got involved and Cindy was involved, uh-huh. I think Joshua withdrew money. Like, to the cash so there's not an account. Sure. Sitting there with $50,000 right. suspiciously. Exactly. Right. So they meet up with him that night and they give him all this money in, in like a satchel type of thing. It's, you know, your briefcase exchange type of situation. And two days go by. So this was like Friday night and nothing happens. And by Monday, they don't hear anything. Or And then Joshua had gone over to Cindy's house like Sunday. Mm-hmm. And... Because they couldn't get a hold of each other, their phones were off, which is just a weird thing. Amelia and Joshua's sister got into his sister's car and went looking for him. Because at this point, she hasn't heard from him in like 24 hours type of thing. And at the end of the day, it is her husband, so she's looking for him. She can't use them to find my iPhone, like nothing's working But, suspiciously, she goes and searches in the apartment complex where Cindy lives. Because how would, A, how would he know where Cindy lives? Yeah. And why is she looking for him where Cindy lives? Right. Because, apparently, she's saying that she had no idea he had gone there. But that's the first place she goes and looks. While they're rolling around or trolling around the parking lot of the complex, um... Both her and her sister-in-law have their phones turned off on purpose. She asked her sister-in-law to turn their phone off, which is just like, if you're not doing anything wrong, why are you turning your phones off? Exactly. That's like, you know, true crime 101. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't find them, so she goes on and she continues her night. She goes out with her cousins to, I think it was, I don't know if it was bowling or some kind of activity, but there was a lot of people, and she goes and she continues her night as normal. She goes to, she goes home. Um, she gets home around 1.30, and she doesn't wake up till the next morning when, uh, I guess, well, there's different stories, but I don't think she actually fell asleep. She said she was up because she was mm-hmm. waiting for her husband. And that he comes to the front door at around 5.30 in the morning, Joshua, bangs on the door, she lets him in, and he's yelling at her, don't fucking touch me, don't fucking touch me, get me a fucking trash bag. Okay. Yeah. So, there's no blood on him. Okay. Okay. And she said that, which I thought this was weird, she didn't know where the trash bags were in her house. And I don't know if that was like a in the moment, like I just bought them, I don't know where I left them, or like I don't have a set spot for them kind of thing. I know where my trash bags are. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And they, and so she said she went and dumped like a trash can and took the bag, like took the contents out of like a used (laughs) trash bag and gave it to him. So it was like a clear trash bag. He took his clothes off there on the porch, his shirt and his pants. And put them all in the bag and then went straight to the shower and then took apart his gun and was like cleaning it 
and um, scratching like the barrel. Okay. Because you know how they like uh, bullets will leave the same imprint over and over. Oh, so right. he was like scratching the barrel so that it wouldn't be matched up to that gun if something were to be found oh. or whatnot. And from there, she said that you know she was getting ready to go to work, um, but it was enough. To, I mean, he was there long enough for her to get ready to go to work. He was still there, and he said he was going to go to his parents' house. He, she was asking him, like, where have you been? What is going on? At this point, she's kind of playing dumb. Like, I don't know exactly where she, where he's been. Mm-hmm. I kind of have an idea, but I don't know. And he told her, like, to stay off the internet and to just, like, everything's fine. He went over to his parents' house, presumably to dispose of the clothes and the weapon, because they've never been found. And... He was still wearing the same clothes that she had last seen him wearing. Okay. His work uniform, his work clothes. And so she went to work as normal that day. And he even called her during her lunchtime. Her branch was only five minutes from home. So she sometimes went home for lunch, but that day she didn't. Mm -hmm. And he just, he said he loved her and she said he loved, she loved him back and, um, she said she kept that conversation short, or they both did, because they know those lines were recorded. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So she said she gets home that night, and she... Um, this is weird, because some of the things that I think, and maybe you do too, that you would want some fucking answers. Where yeah. the fuck have you been? Why weren't you answering my phone? Yeah. Um what the hell happened this morning that you were yelling at me like that? Mm-hmm. I would want to know so many things. A hundred percent. And she said no. She didn't press the matter that much more because he seemed agitated, but he sat her down eventually that evening and told her that he took care of the problem. And kind of left it at that. And, you know, the detectives are trying to ask her, like, well, did he say... Did you, did, did I shoot, or, you know, did he shoot them or anything? Right. They say the word shoot because they know that's how they were dead, by right. shooting. And she eventually caved in and said that, yeah, he had told her he shot them and that if he, if she were to ever tell anyone that he would hurt her. She claims to have been in an abusive relationship with him this entire time. Okay. And... And that's not to say that the claims is that it didn't happen. There's no reports of it. Mm-hmm. Family and friends don't report it. I I can't say I believe her or don't believe her. Right. Um, but it is something that was brought up in court. Are there any accounts of like friends or family acknowledging nope. that? Okay. Mm-mm. So there's. Yeah, there's no written reports of it mm-hmm. or anyone saying they saw anything ever. Yeah, but back in that story. Um, and they even brought in Jay for an interview to ask him, like, hey, are you the hitman? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Um, and he loved Amelia as a big sister. Oh, okay. They knew each other since high school. And he said, and it's funny because I kind of believe him. He said that the night that he went over, he went over as any best friend would do when they were summoned and said, you need to come over right now type Mm -hmm. of situation. He said he was drunk already. He said, I ended up black out that night because I was so drunk. I was on a binger. Like I, I was out. He said, I woke up the next day and I have money. I have pills. And I'm like, what the hell? What did I do? What did I do? Exactly. And he said that he received Snapchats from um, Amelia and from Josh and asking, like, are we on for this? Like, I need you to take care of this problem. And with Snapchat, if you don't, if you haven't used it or, um, you know, not familiar with it, they're video messages that you can send to someone else, but they disappear after what is it a couple views or some time or something yeah i haven't used it in years i know same so they're not records that the police can get 
Right. Which is weird. Mm-hmm. But it's good for criminals. Yes. Um, some of them are written messages, like texting. Right. But for the most part, if you're trying to get away with something, people are going to use the video function or, yeah, and put text over that because it's going to disappear. So that's what he's saying is happening. That's right. what they're all saying is happening. So each one of them has a different version of what those conversations were exactly like. And there's not really a way to confirm it because these conversations are no longer available. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying that he called her or they called each other the next day during through Snapchat and whatnot. And there she was telling her like, yeah, there's, um, you know, I, I, I'll get you more money or the money is available. I have the money and I just need someone to take care of this problem. Da, 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 da. And he was like, wait, what? <laughs> you need me to get who to do what? Yeah. Like, no, no, girl. Like, that's not me. Like, yeah. I don't know anyone. So that's his story, and according to Amelia and Joshua, he's saying that basically he scammed them out of $10,000, which, I mean, good for him. Yeah. But um, because from the time that they gave him that money from Friday, they were dead on Monday. So that's not enough time either to, like, do a well-thought-out hit on someone, I'm assuming. Unless you have somebody on speed dial. Yeah, right? On the, yeah. On that Monday morning, what um, ended up happening is that neighbors heard shots. And I'm not sure exactly what time they they heard these shots. I couldn't. So the time from when he's putting himself at that place at 11 Mm -hmm. to 530 when he showed up at the house. Right. I don't know exactly what time the shooting took place in those six hours. What I can say is that he showed up back home at 530-ish. The cops were called or showed up to Cindy and Sean's house by 7 a.m. Okay. The neighbors reported hearing five shots in the apartment to Cindy and Sean. But it doesn't say what time Mm -hmm. they heard him. I can only assume that it was early in the morning since... They were there so shortly after, after seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't, you know, put it off for the next day type of no. thing. <laughs> so they got to the house and um, both Cindy and Sean are deceased from sh- shock. Wow. From Shotgun. gunshot wounds. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And... The only version that we know what possibly happened inside is what Amelia is saying Joshua told her of what happened inside, which was, and I think this is weird, that Cindy was asleep on her recliner and he came up or she fell asleep on her recliner. I'm I'm not clear on that. This is not clear. We don't know exactly what happened inside that house. Okay. But... He came up behind her and shot her on the back of the head. That first gunshot woke up Sean. He came out to see what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And then comes down the hall. Joshua sees him, runs after him. He's Sean's trying to run into the bathroom when he gets shot. Now, I don't know if those four shots were hits Mm-hmm. Or just kind of spraying, trying to hit something. Right. So they were both shot and um, found d- deceased. Um, there's no like resuscitating or anything when when the police and the paramedics got there. And I mean, it was easy as following a money trail. Yeah, that was it. So they the detectives got to work, and you know they talked to Gerald. They followed the money problems and they realized that Cindy had been calling this one particular number over and over mm-hmm. and there was text messages about like when am I going to get that money back and all these things so it was as simple as knocking on Amelia's door and be like hey we need to talk to you yeah absolutely so all of this it's um in the media it's they keep saying a bank heist which it is a heist um I don't know that I would say it's like a bank robbery. I would say it's a robbery. Yeah. But, um, so eventually for the sentencing, so, or I guess for the charges, Amelia was not 
eventually charged with murder because she pled out. Okay. Because she cooperated. Sure. And she helped them with their case against Joshua. Mm-hmm. She was eventually charged with felony, um, I believe robbery against a, oh gosh, was uh, like an elderly person. So apparently after oh. 65 years or older, it's a felony if you also steal $50,000 or more. It's this weird charge, but it's very specific. against very. an elderly person. Yes. It's like abuse of an elderly person. I or guess something I like could that. see that. Yeah. That makes sense. Which is weird to think what fucking cases brought that on. Seriously. I'm sure a lot. Yeah. Because, a lot. Uh, yeah. Like nursing home situations. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And she was initially facing two charges that were felonies and up to 30 years on each or 40 years on each. And then they brought them down to 30. And then eventually she cooperated so much and in her sentencing because the cops did a fantastic job of saying hey if you help us you know put a murder of two people away Mm -hmm. we're gonna try and help you and think of your son at this point he was seven sure he was a kiddo so Eventually, after sentencing and everything in 2021, she was sentenced to three years plus a time served. She was out for with bond for a long time because she no longer had the murder charge on her. Mm-hmm. So she was out for a long time on bond, at least from the first arraignment to, sent to the trial and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So she got sentenced to three years. That's um, a significant drop oh my from gosh, two yeah. separate charges. That can hold up to yep. 30 years, which, I don't know, I guess that kind of surprises me, but... That's a... Yeah. To go down that much. That's a heavy much, charge for robbery. Yes. It is. And it was supposed... And it's a felony. Yeah. And so she has 15 years of uh, parole mm-hmm. afterwards, mm-hmm. and she has to pay back the $50,000 in restitution to his estate, and which... When I heard a state, makes me think maybe he passed. Okay. Of age yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, or stress because his daughter and grandson were killed. Right. And for Joshua, um, there's no plea for him. I mean, hello. Yeah. They're, you didn't help yourself. No. And they didn't have a murder weapon or anything, but he was convicted of uh, first degree murder for two counts of first degree murder, and it was a life sentence for him. As it should be. Yeah. So all of this for $50,000. That you didn't even get to spend. That you didn't even get to spend. And your son most certainly did not get to keep that. No. In that bank. Absolutely. Because oh. well, Joshua uh, cleared it out when like the heat was oh, coming on them. Right, right, right. So yeah, there is... Oh, they had, you know, they had other smaller charges like... Uh, um, what is the ID one? Oh, identity theft because they like used his I you know his signature uh-huh. and whatnot to right. get stuff. Um, but she was sneaky about it, like on the slips that got the money out. And this mm-hmm. is why the global security I think didn't dig deeper is she had him pre-sign withdrawal slips. Okay. So his signature was on the withdrawal slips and right. whatnot. And I believe I was listening to the the transcripts for her trial. I couldn't find one for Joshua's trial, but for her trial, they eventually put in front of her a copy of Gerald's um, notarized paper that said, I'm giving this money to her. Mm-hmm. And in his writing, his writing, it said, you lying fucking bitch. <laughs> yes, Gerald. Yes. Yes. He got one in. Yes. So... Yeah, all of that for $50,000, they would have never gotten away with it. I don't think they would have ever gotten away with it. No. It would have at least, the the detectives would have, like, everything led to them. Yeah, there wasn't any sort of, like, depositing money into a John Smith account who is not traceable back to... Well, and she's the one that had her hands on the money to move it out, too. Exactly. 
And I think Cindy was super nice about not calling the cops. Yeah. Or, you know, getting the bank involved right away. Um, If you have a family member whose money is missing from the bank, go Karen on their ass. (laughs) Like, seriously. Seriously. I know. I wouldn't leave the branch. I got my money back. Right. And I feel like I personally need to take that advice a little bit because I could almost see myself and Cindy a little bit because I always try to assume the best intent in people. I'm like, yeah, like you said that she was like, oh, you know, you're young. Like, I could definitely see myself getting caught up in the moment of wanting to be like understanding yeah give them a chance give them like a chance let's fix it but 50k but though 50k yeah 50k that's crazy i'm also a little bit surprised that they didn't go after gerald or i guess not they but that oh josh i kill him too yeah yeah because you're still leaving someone out there in who's gonna have questions who's gonna have questions and most definitely is not on your side yeah what i think happened and this is what i think the detectives finally came as much as they could get out of joshua was he probably did go try and talk to them and the conversation wasn't working out Mm -hmm. and they were probably like no fuck you you know like you owe us this money like figure the fuck out or i'm gonna call the cops and it was more of a yes he went there with the intent to talk maybe but it escalated and he panicked Mm -hmm. um but there's also like this whole maybe premeditation thing because they were talking about Um, The words that they were using with Jay, both of them admittedly, were taking care of the problem. And at different times to both of them, they're saying that meant different things. Whether that was Jay turning around and trying to make that money into more money. Or if that actually meant going in and killing them. But also, it was supposed to be killing just Cindy. The hit would have never been for Sean as well. Right. It was just Cindy that was on her ass. And both of them said that Amelia was saying, well, yeah, we had paid them to go talk to Cindy or go have someone scare Cindy and to stop fucking calling me. Mm-hmm. And so they all, they have all these stories. It's really interesting to hear them. Um, like I said, the detectives little by little be like, okay, yeah. you've given me this much. Uh-huh. Let's 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 polish that one up again. Right. What else you got under there? Like exactly. It's, you're giving me little pieces, mm-hmm. and they dragged everything out of them eventually. Yeah. And at the very least, like, dude, you still went and got a gun at a pawn shop. So <sighs> even like you could try to say something wasn't premeditated, but to me that. Yeah. Definitely alludes to pre what other premeditation. I could see like you need you wanted it to like intimidate them, but sure. and then get rid of it. Yeah, and then get rid of it. Right, that's weird. If you did nothing wrong with this gun, or shit, even if you did, you're like I didn't. Here's my gun. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, just not well thought out. No. Um, Ugh, people get so greedy and and stupid. So stupid about over money. $50,000. And then just to take advantage of someone who did need help. Yeah. For her to take advantage of Gerald like that. Right. Um, and the, the other thing that just blew my mind, it's like, you know, you probably have your hands on so many other accounts that have so much more money. That, like, if you started pinching away... Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying I would or it could, but, like, (laughs) I mean... An option would be to skim a little off the top of... Yeah. Be a smart criminal. Don't be a fucking idiot and take $50,000, which is a quarter of what he has in the bank... Exactly. ...from this old guy. (sighs) Look up your millionaires who aren't even going to notice... Fifty grand. Be like, oh no, the market's down today. Yeah, you know, so exactly. Yeah, but don't steal money from anybody. And she was really young too when all of this happened. Um, 
as she was in her 20s. I believe she was 27 when mm. all this happened. Yeah, that's so pretty like, young. So it's like, oh, you're young. You have a small little kid. You're, you know, you have a good job. You work as a personal banker at a bank. Right. Where, I mean, I'm not trying to sell you the job, but I'm sure there's opportunities for growth there. Yeah. <laughs> you could have stayed there just fine. Your husband had just gotten a job. Like, shit was looking up for you yeah, for Yeah, you were change. back to a dual-income household. Yeah. It wasn't like he was SOL, yeah. unhirable. They weren't living in squalor. Like, they were living with her parents. Nothing had changed with their living situation other than maybe just a couple of bills had piled up. Shit happens. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to see what people will do when they feel desperate. Totally. For $50,000, okay, yeah, you stole $50,000, get in trouble for that. But then to make that situation a thousand times worse mm-hmm. by killing people, mm-hmm. what? Ugh, yeah. So, yeah, that's the case of Amelia Bassoon and Joshua Ramsani. That's a good one. Isn't that crazy? And I love Gerald's note. I know. You lying fucking bitch. That's so funny. You, no, what did he say? You little fuck, uh, little fucking, little lying. I'll have to look it up. Something Shit. with an F word, a B word. Something with an F word and a B word. <laughs> fucking Gerald. <laughs> Gerald went in. Get I it. love it. Give your last jab. All right. So as always, uh, I'll ask if you haven't already given us a review on iTunes. We'd love to see those reviews come in. And um, hopefully by this end of the week of this episode coming out uh patreon gifts will go out for for those of you that are on patreon if those of you that are interested it's not too late i ordered some extras so if you sign up through the month of october i will include you in the um the stuff we're giving away for october because i'm really excited to see those come in so go to patreon.com and check us out all right bye-bye. bye bye